Healthcare and senior care is fraught with problems and challenges, but we're also seeing some amazing new clinical treatments and resources. This show will help illuminate and uncover the good, bad, and the ugly in order to equip patients, families, and other healthcare providers. Welcome to Senior Care Confidential. Welcome to another episode of Senior Care Confidential. While improving, the healthcare system isn't really set up to take care of chronically ill uh, senior patients. It's still reactive in nature, and many advocates, or many lack advocates rather, to ensure better quality of life. And there's a lot of money being made maintaining the status quo. An interesting parallel we're going to discuss today is that of elderly prisoners. Today's guest, Amy Barisi, is here to discuss a ministry she has been a part of that's shining a light on this underserved segment of our population. Amy, we are so excited that you're here. I've, I've heard you speak and hear your passion for the senior population in prisons. And so tell us a little bit about how you got there. Tell us your bio. Well, uh, it's actually pretty interesting, this story. I was able to uh, run a small town newspaper in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. And the owner of that paper was very involved in politics and lobbying. And he had an idea to save uh, the state of Mississippi money by taking the incarcerated and the extremely disabled, uh, those who have um, Alzheimer's or traumatic brain injuries out of the prison system and putting them into skilled nursing, secures, secured skilled nursing, but to take them out of the system where they were costing taxpayers absolutely millions and billions of dollars. What would happen was that the, um, the prisoners would cost twice amount, the twice amount of money as a healthy prisoner would. And once we ran the numbers, we said, how could this not be um, an idea to implement? And it was implemented. It was implemented in Connecticut at a uh, facility called 60 West. They opened up in 2013 and they have just done wonders up there to uh, release compassionately very ill and dying um, incarcerated men and women and also to um, lessen the burden on taxpayers. So it was actually a win-win situation and uh, a bipartisan effort in Connecticut. And we thought, why can't we do it in other states? So let me ask you a question. So a state-funded incarcerated senior finds out that he's got lung cancer. Yes. So what are the steps? What do they do once he's gotten that diagnosis? When he's in a prison, a state-funded prison, he is, let's say, he's got a life sentence. So okay. walk us through that. All right. Very good. So you get the diagnosis. You would see your prison doctor, and then they would take the prisoner to get treatment. The treatment would involve prison transportation, armed security with them while they're getting their treatment, and obviously transportation back. Once they're back in the facility and they're behind bars, they are unable to get adequate care unless it's going back to the prison clinic. And all prisons do have a dedicated prison nurse. So they're in general population still. They, they leave, they're critically ill. They leave to go get their treatments done. They come back, back in the scary general population. Yes. Not even like a secured like medical wing or ward of the, of the prison. 
So prisons are not set up for long-term care as far as disease progresses. A lot of prisons have tried to implement a hospice type system where prisoners would be able to care for other prisoners, but that invokes a myriad of problems because when you think about hospice, not only are you dealing with narcotics and- End of life care, where you where you need those um, those emergency kits that contain vials of morphine, but there's also a team in hospice that's involved. That is your social worker, your medical director, nursing, social work, and also um, hospice. In order to be reimbursed by Medicare, has to spend twenty percent of their patient hours. On, vol- on volunteers. And it's a very difficult situation to get volunteers into the prison um, to make all that possible. Wow. So let's say, just backing up a little bit. So, so Mr. Smith in the prison has lung cancer and he's able to get chemo once a week and it's an IV chemo. So does the IV chemo come to the prison or he goes to get that chemo? And then when is it decided that they stop that? So I know it's kind of individual, but but I'm just trying to get a picture. So for all the treatments, he does go to a clinic with an armed guard, with a driver, um, just like your normal citizen would be treated for a key, uh, cancer diagnosis. Yes. And it also depends upon the states, how their uh, infirmaries are set up. I worked on a cruise ship for uh, six years, and because we were out at sea, we were basically our own city, and anything that would happen on the ship, from a stroke to a heart attack, any type of illness um, that would come up, we would have to take care of that in the infirmary with the doctor and the nurse that we had. So it's kind of like the same thing. A prison is its own entity into itself. So they try to do as much as they can right there. Well, you know, when I, I worked at Parkland um, and I had, I worked on the general medical floor and it was probably once a month we had an inmate and they did have a guard. They did have, Mm -hmm. they were chained to the bed (laughs) and, um, and it was usually a pretty, they were pretty sick. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was kind of terrifying too, for a nurse, just, you know, taking care of this inmate that's that's chained to their their bed. I know. But so just as a nurse, and I have such compassion for seniors, incarcerated and not incarcerated, just all seniors. So walk us through, um, they decide, you know what, Mr. Smith is no longer a candidate for chemo. And so we're just going to let nature take its course. Mm-hmm. So that senior is just in his cell is what you're saying. And that's kind of... That's how, how are no they caring care for him? Well, there is the nurse, the doctor that might be there, but the round the clock stuff that you would get normally for hospice is not available in well, yes. Hospice is, is not taking place within prison walls. A, a form mm-hmm. of hospice could be, and that's okay. a pilot program that a lot, a lot of States are doing. But as far as someone who is actively dying with a diagnosis of six months or less, they can be compassionately released. This compassionate release is, is parole. So they are paroled to go home and die at home with their family. Now, does this happen in a timely process? No, we're talking about 
the United States government and also state governments. So by the time everything would have to be done and all of the I's dotted and T's crossed and everyone's signature on it, this person most likely would expire. Now, another thing that um, is probably not prevalent in a lot of people's minds is the conditions in prison. So yes, this one person that we were talking about hypothetically had cancer. What we're concerned about is the conditions in prison. The state of Mississippi was under an investigation from the Department of Justice for the inhumane treatment of its prisoners. Mm -hmm. Parchman Prison in Mississippi is extremely overcrowded. They lessened the overcrowded population back in October, but that was only after numerous lawsuits and a lot of pressure from um, the public. So we're talking about conditions where the food is unedible. There um, is sometimes weevils in the food, um, mm. in, so in, like in their grits in the morning. Um, no air conditioning. It gets very hot in the summers in Mississippi. Many people expire um, purely from heat exhaustion. Yesterday, while I was doing some research, uh, I read an article about a man in Arkansas 65 years old, very healthy when he went in, about 180 pounds. He was not convicted. He was in prison because he was um, waiting for his trial, and he couldn't afford the bail. The bail was $1,000. Couldn't afford the bail. Languished in prison for over a year. By the time that he passed, he was 80 pounds. <sighs> he He had a diagnosis of schizophrenia. They did not because he had not been through the system yet to get charged and maybe possibly go to um, a behavioral health hospital or to be incarcerated and, and his medical condition taken care of, he was put in solitary confinement. And in solitary confinement, he was refusing his meals and he actually wound up starving to death. So oh yeah, we're talking about you know people who have gotten life sentences, but we're also talking about a system that is set up against people who are in poverty and they can't they can't get those assets together to pay the bail, and then they are in these extremely unfortunate conditions. Wasn't there a recent legislation that was looking at redefining or redoing like the maximums and minimums? Because then they yes. find not too long ago that they were very extreme for certain things. That now, if you are convicted by these things, that this the sentencing guidelines, sentencing guidelines would be much less. So we're running a new issue now where the the older population actually. Had they been convicted on today's laws, they probably wouldn't even be there now anyway. That is, is that, correct. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So this goes back to uh, the 1980s and the 1990s, if you remember, the war on drugs. Uh -huh. So the war on drugs was putting away people who were found with some small quantities. Even using, like not selling, just using. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Selling or using. And at that time, there was something called a three strikes rule. So if you came in for three different reasons that, that you had been arrested, say one was a shoplifting car charge, one was a usage of marijuana, um, one was, I don't know, um, being intoxicated in public. So those are your three strikes. After the third strike, you got life in prison. So mm -hmm. those are the people who were oh, in their gosh. 20s back in the 80s and 90s, and now they've aged out 
some 40 years later, they're in their 60s and 70s, and they're serving, they're serving life sentences for something that now, under the new regulations for maximum sentencing, they wouldn't have been given a life, they wouldn't have been given a, a life sentence just due to the overcrowdedness of um, the populations and wow. the prisons being overcrowded. We talked about the quality of care for an aging individual in prison, you know, when it comes down to palliative care or hospice. So obviously there's a quality issue on the, on the care side, but you also mentioned something about cost. What is the cost to the taxpayer to, to do it in, in, the, in the form that you guys were looking at doing in Mississippi versus what they're currently doing? So what they have done in Connecticut and then what we want to do um, in Mississippi is compassionately release. The cost to a taxpayer is $60,000 a year. That is an average for the United States. In some states, it's going to be higher and some states it's going to be sure. lower. So once you get that person out of the system, that $60,000 a year that you're paying taxpayer money to keep that person incarcerated is gone. The person then goes into the system um, for either a Medicaid bed Okay. Because obviously um, for their finances, they would be able to qualify for Medicaid. Mm -hmm. Or if they were um, disabled, we, ha we have a lot of people who have traumatic brain injuries um, and then also um, our Alzheimer's patients. You know, that is that is kind of like a, 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 a silent uh, problem that we have because when we think of the Alzheimer's Association and we think of what we're doing for anyone who is diagnosed with the disease, we don't think of people who are incarcerated and then the trauma that they must be going through every day with having that memory loss and having sure. to constantly relearn why they are where they are and acclimate to their environment. So the $60,000 a year is the, the cost of the taxpayer, but it's yes. also the revenue to the prison system. Yes. Is that part of the pushback for this type of a program from the prison system itself and the politicians? Is, that, is there a money driving some of this move to something different? Yes. And more humane? Yes. So Mississippi has a... Um, horrible history with their prison system of of different vendors being able to get these large contracts because say you build a prison for 1200 people well the contract to who's going to provide the food and the commissary and laundry and all of those myriad of things that go into a prison, someone's making money off mm -hmm. of them. So if we were to rehabilitate or to empty the percentage of elderly that are in our prisons, my goodness, like the prisons would mm -hmm. probably lose a, a pretty good percentage of their inmates, which would open up space for more violent offenders, which would be fantastic. But when they're, when the prison, when the Department of Corrections is looking at their budget and then looking at a program like this, they're kind of like, uh, they're not. Have playing. they verbalized that to you? Like we're looking at this as, as a revenue loss for us if we do this? Uh, no, they do, okay. they do not come out and say that. They do not come out and say that. But it's kind of like we did all this work to get this bill passed, to get this legislation. It took mm. us three years working, lobbying, 
covering both sides of the aisle because it was a bipartisan effort. At one point, the Democrats didn't want it for us in Mississippi because they said that we were expanding Medicaid and they want Medicaid for all in Mississippi, but they said we we're expanding Medicaid to prisoners. No, that's not true. They are <laughs> prisoners are not people who are under or overworked and underfunded. And then the Republicans had a problem with it because a lot of the Republican viewpoint in the South is that life means life and mm. that they need to serve, serve out. So it's kind of been a delicate balance, but it really was a bit, a really big win for Mississippi in the legislative session last year to be able to pass this law. Well, I know they're the non-funded and their charity pay, um, cases that all of the hospices take advantage of and rotate here in Dallas, Texas. Mm. Um, and so it would, you would think that with that inmate system, with the prison system, the hospices would be agreeable to help in some way with those charity patients. Um, I don't know. I, I would think that, you know, if these hospices say we want to take care of everyone, that would include the prisoners too. Mm -hmm. So I think, so what can we do just as citizens to be able to support these seniors in prisons and help them get the care that they need at that time? Well, once we get it going in Mississippi, because we have fought the hard fight for the legislation, we do plan to move on to some other states with a high rate of incarceration. And Texas is one of them with over 223,000 uh, males incarcerated. Wow. So we would be able wow. to do some really good work in Texas. And uh, the group that I'm working with in Mississippi plans on bringing this to Florida, Alabama, Alabama also, as much as I love it and I'm roll tide, Alabama <laughs> has a horrible history with their prisons. Um, you know, all these states, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Then, I didn't want to say it. I Louisiana know. I'm as from well. Louisiana and I know it's bad in yeah. Louisiana. Angora. Yeah. It's awful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how does the system work? So the, the legislation you guys did pass last year uh, is the, there, are they moving to just a memory care skilled nursing facility, just a normal one? Cause now they're, I'm assuming they're paroled just like the model in uh, Connecticut. Yes. So they're moving to a normal skilled nursing facility that's kind of a lockdown unit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like the state has to fund an additional building ooh, with healthcare ooh. services and a lot of kind of stuff. This is going to an, a pre, an already existing community skilled nursing facility that already has a lockdown units there for them. Correct. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. And what's really interesting about the um, facility in Connecticut is they built such a nice and beautiful uh, community that 30% of their residents are just your average grandma and grandpa. It's not a, it's not a compassionate release residents only. They have just your regular grandma and grandpa off the street living there in the nursing home. And is which, there any pushback on the family members with that one? With the, you know, cause if, if I've got a grandmother who's looking to move into a skilled nursing facility, it might give me a little bit of pause if, there was a, a compassionate release program within that skilled nursing facility. Mm -hmm. Have you guys heard any pushback on that or has that been accepted? There was an, there was an initial pushback from the community, 
but they're very selective and and they can be gotcha. selective. They're not taking in sexual predators. Yeah, they're not gotcha. taking in okay. mass murderers, you know, serial yeah. rapists, murderers, any of that. And I know that that is an issue just in our state psych prison, the Terrell State Prison. So when those rep patients leave that hospital or this Terrell State Hospital, where do they go? And they have psych issues, but they've got very extreme psych issues. Yeah. And do you share, if you bring in those residents, do you need, do you let the other residents know? So I, I, it is a dilemma. It, you know, it's a huge problem. But it sounds like they figured that out. Like they're being selective on the diagnoses that, or the, I shouldn't say the diagnosis, probably the diagnoses of it's psych, but at least in terms of the crimes committed, Oh, absolutely. Prior to letting them move in. Absolutely. Yeah. It's written in the legislation yeah. that there is not, no one is um, going to qualify for compassionate release if they are sexual predator, rape, uh, murder, you know, violent offenders. We're talking about the people who got life sentences in the late 80s yeah. and the 90s, and they have been languishing in the system for decades and decades. So gotcha. that's what we're talking okay. about. Wow. Wow. Good for y'all. Yes, it's so exciting. So when, when does this start? So the, the legislation passed in Mississippi, when does it actually start? So the legislation passed in Mississippi last year. Uh, right now, we are working with the Department of Corrections to identify those who would qualify. Okay. And once we get them identified, they'll go through the process for compassionate parole, and then they will be living out whatever years they have left of their life in a very clean not violent, right. able to get their medication. And see their family. And see their family. have family. And live a dignified, very small end of their life, but they will die in a more dignified um, manner. Wow. And that's what we're That's doing. wonderful. I well, thank you. That. That's great that you're involved in that. Great. Well, can I talk real quick about, about Oh, do you love? have an announcement? I have an announcement to make. Um, so we are doing, Joy Care Management has an upcoming event called the Love Boat. Um, it is what your um, current senior wants in a senior community. And we're talking about some topics that have been kind of off limits. So what do you do with sex in a senior community? What do you do with STDs? Say um, one gentleman in the community is giving STDs to about 20 different ladies and he's married. <laughs> you oh, know, man. what um, we drugs, what do you do if a resident loves to smoke pot? He's moved here from Colorado to live near his son and he doesn't want to go to happy hour. He wants to have happy hour in his own apartment and invite friends. So where is, where do we draw the line? Ethically, what do you do? It's his apartment. He is living in a senior community, but he is a resident. He's got rights and, you know, he's got privacy as well. So what do you do in this case? So we're offering four and a half CMEs. We're offering for physicians, CEUs for nurses and social workers. It's going to be a great event at Presbyterian Village North. It's in North Dallas. Tickets are $25. We're going to sell out fast. So we want to make sure if you want to come, get your tickets soon. Uh, you can go to tickets at pajamasforseniors.org. All proceeds for this event benefit seniors 
in area nursing homes. Um, we are collecting for our upcoming Mother's Day drive. So this will help with Mother's Day gowns. So we hope you can come. Four and a half CEUs. It's open to the public as well. So if you just want information, you're an administrator, you're a, you're a PT, PT who doesn't get CEUs, who doesn't get CEUs. <laughs> um, and you just want to be more knowledgeable, you know, um, just, you know, AIDS is on the rise in the population. It's higher in the 65 plus population than any other population. Yes. So we just want to educate. And so we know how to handle these situations. And then music, you know, sometimes I'll go into these residential care homes or senior communities and they have the Golden Girls playing or they have Lawrence Welk or they've got the game shows from 1970. I mean, who wants to watch that? So it's turn off Lawrence Welk. We want the Rolling Stones. Let's, let's listen to some music that is beneficial, that you like. And I think of, you know, my husband and I, our first dance was to the song, Build Me Up Buttercup. I love that song. It was at a bar. And um, so when I hear that song, I just get joyful. I get excited. It was fun. So let's play some music that these seniors can identify with. And it's much better than a pill. You know, um, you're sad, you're discouraged, turn on some music that that your residents are going to like and maybe dance to and step to and, you know, do a line dance. Who knows? But anyway, we would love for you all to come. Tickets at pajamasforseniors.org. Amy, I hope you will attend. I would love for you to be there as my guest. Oh, it sounds so interesting. Yes, it's it really does. great. Brian, you can come as my dad's guest what, too. What is the date and the time? The date is Friday, um, April the 28th. We start at 8 a.m. We're going to um, check in at 730 um, ends at three, but then we're going to have a happy hour. And we have lots of activities that we're going to be able to demonstrate, um, not just your same old trivia and bingo. We've got Parkinson's boxing for Parkinson's. Awesome. We have somebody doing chair yoga that's going to explain yoga. We have a barbershop quartet. Um, we've got a band that's made up of seniors, but the band doesn't play um you know, old fogey music. They're going to pay, play hip, fun, dancing music. So it's going to be great. And just, you know, we need to take better care of our seniors and have best practices than what we're doing. And what better way to have a full day of saying, you know what, we need to provide this in our community great. for these seniors. Great. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Amy, so much yeah. for your information. If anybody wants more information, how can they reach out to you and get involved? Um, is there an email address that we could yes, give we, the audience? Yes, we do. We have a, a website. Uh, it's Composio, C-O-M-P-A-S-I-O, Composio.com. And Composio stands for compassion in Latin. Okay. Gotcha. That's why we named the company that. Very cool. That's awesome. So, so excited much. for what you're doing. And that's it's wonderful um, how you are taking care of those incarcerated seniors. And we appreciate that. So you guys have a blessed day. Great. You said? Yep. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks was, so much. Have a great day. It was great to be here. Yeah.